the First Lady of New York Radio, Joan Hamburg. Entertaining and informative. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Welcome to the Joan Hamburg Show. And I have introduced you to urban archaeologist Joan Geismar in the past. She's had a lot of adventures looking under the sidewalks of New York City and finding some amazing things. And there's a lot that goes on in the building industry, the construction industry, archaeologists, researchers. So I wanted, I haven't checked in with Joni in terms of what's going on in quite a while. So I thought it was time to take you on um, what she calls herself, a garbologist romp through the city, (laughs) uptown and downtown. So, Joan Geismar, you've had more than your share of discoveries from a ship in the South Street Seaport to what was once thriving community in this area. So let's first talk about an urban archaeologist to remind people what you do. Joni, I'm so glad you put it that way because I was thinking, you know, people hear archaeology and they think treasure and they think of Egypt and they think of Greece and they think of all and Mexico and all these wonderful places, which are indeed wonderful. But I'd like to explain a little bit of, about what I actually do. And I am an archaeologist and I am a garbologist. My husband is right. Um, I don't have long digs like if I were uh, if, if I were in a school and I were an academic I might have a long dig that goes on for years this is very almost down and dirty and the re- and that's almost a pun actually but the reason actually it is a pun but the reason for this is because we don't choose our sites as an urban archaeologist I don't go and say oh this looks wonderful I'm sure there's something here that we can find We are sort of confined to where there is going to be disturbance, and if where there is disturbance is going to happen, is it because of a new uh, sewer line, is it because of a new building that comes under environmental review, we don't just go out every time there's a building or every time there's something. There has to be a reason for that project to come under environmental review, possibly because they need a permit or whatever. And that's when an urban archaeologist comes in. And that's when research comes in. Like what was on that site before? Sometimes it is under a sidewalk. More likely it's under a parking lot or um, which, by the way, parking lots are terrific because they really do keep things forever until they're disturbed. But it depends upon what's happening and what law has been. What No, I know what law it is. It's the environmental law. But is there a chance there could be archaeology? And that's when um, agencies uh, chip in or come in and say archaeology has to be considered. And once it's considered, a great deal of research has to be done. What was on that site before it was a parking lot or a sidewalk? And what has happened over time? And that's where the research comes in. And I find that, Joni, that's just as exciting to me almost anyway, as the act of discovery in the ground, because you find so much. What you see now is not what used to be, and that's true throughout. Even the city itself is not what it used to be. It used to be uh, rivers and, and streams and hills and 
and it isn't that way basically anymore. But once we discover that there could be something there, then we have to determine how it is going to be affected by what the project is. Is the line, the new sewer line going just where there might be something or not? And if it's or not, then nothing has to be done. But if it can be something that will be affected, that's where archaeology comes in. And the amazing thing to me is what we have found, given the constrictions that we have, the restrictions and constrictions that we have of where we can dig. And um, I've had some fabulous projects, as as you know, I have told you over time, and I continue to be excited by it. Uh, for example, one project was Washington Square Park. Well, you did mention my ship, and someone said my ship came in, and I loved mm-hmm. that. That was my very first dig, and I pointed to the backhoe operator where, to, where, he, where we should dig to see how deep landfill was on this block in the South Street Seaport. And I pointed, and I said, how about there, Fred? And Fred started digging, and the dirt fell away, and we found wood, and it turned out to be the midsection of a 100-foot a merchant vessel from 1717 that had been pulled in to do to, to structure the landfill, you know, that used to be part of the East River. That was unbelievable. My very first dig as a what uh, as the, the head of that dig. So right. To speak. And what happened to that ship? Well, it was documented. It wasn't all on the block. Some of it is still under Front Street in, in Lower Manhattan. And um, every every board, every everything that was on that block was taken out and photographed and measured and um, has been swimming in polyethylene glycol, as far as I know, down in Newport News, Virginia. And it would be terrific, but not the whole ship. Just the, just mm-hmm. the hull, just the uh, just the um, the bow, not the hull, just the bow, and that could be reconstructed theoretically and would be a fantastic exhibit. It's waiting. It's been waiting. It's been waiting for thirty yeah. years. Well, but let I, me ask <laughs> you: If I decided I wanted to build something, and it was in an area like I don't know, how did they know that that area might have something worth doing? Is it a big deal to do that? Well, it's it's not. You say, how do they know? First of all, the environmental review process, ha- which came in in 1978. Before that, you could virtually destroy anything. But that environmental review came in then, and so with that review, if that review gets uh, triggered, then you have to, the client, the client, the person who's doing whatever building or whatever, has to consider whether certain things can be harmed, like uh, the air, the water, the traffic, the, the everything, and the archaeology. And uh, that's when that gets triggered. And as I always say, I'm always fascinated by how much we learn when that is so prescribed. You know, you just can't go anywhere. And um, if you were to build a, a house, let's say, and it was on, well, in Manhattan, you'd have to be crazy. But anyway, let's say you're building a house in Manhattan or a building. A bu- let's make it grander, a building that you have to go through all kinds of, you have to get permits. And those permits help determine whether archaeology is even considered. But I thought of you when I was in the South Street area recently, which has become like a big shopping mall. Mm-hmm. And there's so much construction and building, whether it's condos, co-ops, um, food courts. It's amazing. They're building all over the place there. And you would think that would be a no-no. It's not a no-no. I mean, the thing is that archaeology doesn't usually stop anything. It's just it has to be addressed 
before they can move forward. The, the, the ship stopped nothing. The ship and the 310,000 artifacts that we collected stopped nothing. Wow. There's a building on that site. But you see, the, the difference is that everything has been documented. There are those 310,000 artifacts, and um, they're, they're forever. I mean, they're up in the New York State Museum, and they can be researched by others. They can look at those and find things that I never found about those, those uh, artifacts. So the difference is that it doesn't stop it, but you have to document it. And that's what urban archaeologists do. Now, sometimes it can stop it, like the, the uh, African burial ground. That did stop. That, had, that was envi- an environmental review issue. And that did stop because of what it was. But it took a long time for it to stop. You know, it didn't just happen overnight. So it can stop things, but it's rare. Usually you dig it up, you document it. And so it's there's over. at least a record and then it's over. Yes. Which is sad, but at least it gets documented. Yeah. Do you ever find bodies? Yes, one finds bodies, especially if one has to do something in a cemetery, but um, (laughs) which can happen. Um, And occasionally, you do find. uh, Well, what we deal with a lot is called landfill. And landfill means that uh, material has been brought in from all over. And sometimes that material does include um, human remains, not often, not often burials, but human remains, you know, a part of a human body. But it also includes animal remains and broken pottery and broken, you know, broken glass. You know, it's a it's a mixed bag. But of course, if if human remains are found, then that triggers yet another kind of review where you have experts come in and determine what you're looking at, not just a bone necessarily, but if you should come upon a burial, which could happen, which does happen. And how often do you find the remnants of a community? How often do you find a remnant of a community? The remnants of a community or a village or, or a place that really existed and thrived and is no more. Well, that happened in Saratoga Square in Brooklyn, which was a thriving, uh, now called the Saratoga Square, that, uh, that was a thriving German community in the mid-19th century and uh, now has been rebuilt and is a, is a whole different thing. But um, that was a, a past, and we did research there and, and found interesting things. We found old uh, Actually, what we didn't find were privies, which I expected to find. A privy would have been the outhouse because there was no plumbing, which makes you have to think, what did people do for their sanitary, what was a sanitary uh, procedure in a, in a village like that, which was very interesting. But one remnant of a little village like that was a place called Weeksville, which was not little, also in Brooklyn. It was a, a community of free blacks that went back to 1835 free African-Americans, and it was a thriving community. And there's a remnant of it at a place called, well, now the Weeksville Heritage Center. But they were the Hunterfly Road houses, four little houses that don't, don't align with the street, uh, the, the, the street um, grid that, it, that is now. It was on uh, an old road called Hunterfly Road. And those houses have been saved and, um, and been not reconstructed. Well, one house was reconstructed, but they have been renovated, and they're part of something called the Weeksville Heritage Center. And I worked on that project, and it was extremely interesting to see. First of all, it established that the houses were not occupied as early as was believed historically. That was found out through archaeology. But it's still a fantastic place that functioned until, well, into the 1960s, actually. 
Joni, I love what I do because the act of discovery, as I said, is so exciting to see, to set the history straight. History is funny. It's somebody's point of view. But with archaeology, with archaeology, you have uh, you have concrete. Well, I shouldn't use the word concrete, but you have something that actually tells you what people ate, what they what they what they drank from, what their dishes were like, what they threw away, what they bought and what they kept. It was just it, it's there. It's in the ground. And it's wonderful to be able to document it. It's, it's, it's another kind of history. It's a very real history and actually basically a true history. And Did I, you ever work on the Lower East Side or very old neighborhoods in New York City? Yes, I was the archaeologist for the Lower East Side Tenement Museum when it was being formed. And that, too, was very exciting. That went back to 1863, I believe, and I expected it to have a privy, which is an outdoor a sanitary facility when there were no, uh, when there were no, when there were, sorry, when there was no plumbing. But it turns out there was a research show that there was a sewer in the street and they had something somewhat primitive, but very much a, a step above a, uh, an outdoor privy pit. And they did have water that swept away human waste. But it was a very, it was a big surprise to find what was called a school sink behind the uh, south, behind the um, tenement museum in their backyard, and it still it was still there. That was not archaeological. The archaeological uh, artifacts were not as fascinating as some, but interesting because again, it was a mixed bag, which makes it interesting. You'd have a credit card right next to a very old piece of a dish, but the fact that this this uh, sanitary feature, which had four compartments, you know, four. Uh, compartments, I can only leave it that way, um, was once the sanitary um, facility for that building until they put, uh, when, the, when they did take advantage of the, you know, the, the um, plumbing. increased plumbing, you know, well, the, the improved plumbing, so to speak, and there was a toilet on every floor, uh, just one on every floor. But so that, again, was a, basically a step up. But that was extremely interesting to find, not what I expected, but something a little more interesting, actually. Yeah. Are there yeah. any neighborhoods that you're looking at now or that they're thinking of um, testing what might be there? Uh, not that I know of, but there are other people doing what I do, and they probably know about it. Right now, I'm very much involved in a lot of parks projects where they're putting in new infrastructure. And because it's a public park and some of them are uh, landmarks, they do have to consider archaeology. And that's, if that takes me back to Washington Square Park, which was fantastic. I did a study, and I knew where there could be things such as, well, the major issue was, Two-thirds of it had been a burial ground at the end of the 18th century and the beginning of the 19th century. And it was a potter's field. And the question was, were, those, were the bodies in that potter's field always uh, thought to be at 20,000? It's amazing. Every cemetery that gets covered is thought to have 20,000 bodies. But anyway, that's another issue. But it was a, it was a cemetery. And were there, any, were there any remains left in that cemetery? Were there any burials? So that was a very important part of that project of the renovation of Washington Square Bar- Park about 10 years ago and a little less than 10 years ago. And it turned out, yes, there are bodies there and they will remain. Mm. You, what happens when you do find other cemeteries and they've been, you know, no one even knew they were there or long deserted. 
Do people come in and notify, or how do they even get to families whose loved ones are there? Well, that can be an issue when there are no records for the cemetery, and that often does happen. But then if you do, if a cemetery is found, it does have to be preserved, or, or, or it has to be addressed and preserved. But um, it's, it's complicated. That would be a very complicated issue. For example, at Washington Square Park, there were burials. Well, we don't know, you know who was buried there. But the interesting thing is we do know uh, some because one of the findings when when standing over and watching where uh, 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 where they were going to put in uh, a feature, and so I was watching because they were digging, there was a, a gravestone revealed, the gravestone of James Jackson. I've mentioned him before, I think, when I've spoken, Joni, but it was so fantastic to find this very lovely, small um, a stone memorial to a man who died in 1799 and obviously had the money or uh, the backing to have a, a, um, a headstone and yet he was in a potter's field and research indicated it was because he had died of yellow fever in 1799 and at that time yellow fever which occurred every summer was a scourge that they thought was uh, uh, um, could be caught you know, and transmitted. So, so everyone, anyone who died of, of yellow fever at that time had to be buried in the potter's field because it was outside the city at the time. So did so, you find other um, bodies or you let it go? We found evidence of burials where they were going to dig very mm-hmm. often. And, they, and in that case, they moved where they were going to dig. And then we watched where they dug then, and it was all okay. So they put what they had to put in, which at one point it was a, a, a holding tank for water for the... For the um, Park. Not for the block, but for, uh, for the, the fountain that's in Washington mm-hmm. Square Park. But they had to keep finding a place where there were no burials. They had to keep looking, I should say. And they did find it. So, but it, it, it was extremely interesting because the history of the park changed based on what was found archaeologically. I love changing well, history and making it right, as right yeah. as it can be. <laughs> so, Well, it sounds very exciting, I'm sure. It is, Joni. I've been doing it for years, and I still love it. And the act, as I said, the act of discovery in the records and in the ground is both right. so almost equally forever. exciting. Yep. Thank you, Joan Geismar, who's an urban archaeologist and one of the leading ones in New York City and knows more than most people about what you're walking on (laughs) and who's there. It's very exciting because the city has many lives and archaeologists find them and reveal them to us. All the best to you, Joan Geismar. We'll talk again. Thank you, Joni. I'm Joan Hamburg, and you're listening to WABC, More Straight Ahead.